I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I responded. Welcome to this episode of the Limitless Athlete Podcast. My name is Tom Foxley, the founder of Mindset RX and Mindset Coach. Today on the show, I am going into an in-depth discussion on breathwork with Andrew Tracy. Andrew is a fitness editor of Men's Health, and he's also kind of one of those guys who seems to be leading the forefront of conversation around whatever's new in training, and I think most importantly, whatever's effective in training. This conversation between us, we, I think, struggle to stay away from the esoteric, and both of us are quite experienced meditators, so I think we get pulled towards that. But on the on the, on the the whole, what we discuss about is, or what we discuss is breathwork, and how it can be used as both an indicator of our state and also a tool to modulate our state, to change the way we feel and to change the way we perform and how that links into the mindset that we have, the thoughts that we have, um, whether that's kind of more anxious or more lethargic and how to modulate that mental state. Really enjoyed this conversation. And now I'm going to bring you a lovely conversation with the one and only Andrew. Tracy. Welcome to the show. Um, thanks so much for joining me, first of all. Thank you very much. It's uh, always a, a pleasure and an honour to be asked. So everyone listening to this would have heard a brief intro that I'll have recorded for you, so they'll, they'll know who you are. Um, but I'm interested in your, in your journey into the breath and how you got there just to frame the story and then we can, we can take a deep dive like where did your interest in breath begin mm, I, it's like one of those weird things it's evolved so um organically it wasn't until people started asking me very specific questions or i, I started looking when i started probably when i started looking and saying um oh, you know, I should go get some paperwork. I should go do some training courses. I should get some, you know, credentials here. And I realized, oh, hi, I'm actually, I've been really interested in this thing and how um, how it relates to my life and my training for years and years and years. I think, obviously, a focus on the breath is is by no means a new thing. You know, yogis have been doing it for thousands of years, but particularly probably in our space, in the fitness space, it definitely seems as though it's one of those, um, you know, fairly new bubbles or, or, or trends. And I don't think I'd, I think it's such an integral thing to obviously, you know, breathing to your life and to your training that it's not something I'd ever really considered an interest. Uh, it was just something that I spent a lot of time thinking about because we're doing it all the time and, and perversely we'll probably get into this but trying not to think about uh in the in the case of of meditation um i think a big tipping point for me and i wish i could pinpoint when i exactly i kind of 
came to this this realization or this thesis because it pro- it probably is um at this point quite pivotal to me and it's probably going to end up being my sort of like thing and my magnus opus but at some point i kind of realized or kind of rationalized this this idea this thought process of our our psychology and our physiology being in this constant feedback loop right and i can't even remember what i was doing or what i was thinking about at the time when i i kind of went down this this sort of active imagination rabbit hole of, of figuring this thing out this idea that our physiology and our, our psychology are in a, a constant feedback loop and and just to make that kind of tangible you know if you imagine the minute something gets hard and you you start to have the physiological symptoms of that thing being hard. Let's take a, a really, you know, you're running hard, you're, you're, you're caning the air bike, whatever it may be. You start to have those physiological symptoms and then you start to feel, you know, in a very um, psychological sense, you start to feel panic. And it, it, it's very difficult to see which comes first and it's very difficult to um, kind of pimp point the moment where this this wheel sort of starts spinning until you start paying attention to it then you really you know you really can break down how these things arise and occur and I, I spend a lot of time thinking about that feedback loop between psychology between physiology so we start getting gassed we start finding something really really hard so we start to panic and we're, we're panic breathing and we you know we're hyperventilating and that ups the panic right on a physiological level in in terms of we're trying to offload this co2 or perhaps we don't have a high tolerance to carbon dioxide and it's making us feel very uncomfortable in it in an emotional sense as opposed as opposed to an embodied you know sort of physiological stimulus and then that makes us panic even more right so now we're in this loop where we're just on this runaway train of I'm hyperventilating. Oh God, I'm panicking. Oh God, I'm in a really bad way. And we're going round and round and round and round. And at some point I kind of looked at it and this is something we all do once we've got a little bit of training under our belt. A lot of us do kind of either just naturally or someone's told us to do it at some point, which is just to get, just to get a hold of our breath, right? We shouldn't let that that runaway train go and i mean i know a lot of people don't a lot of people just assume that the body will take care of itself right but as i say body mind in this this perpetual feedback loop your breath is you know it's both autonomic it's automatic it's something that can take care of itself you probably don't think about your breath thankfully for the for the vast um majority of, of the day but it's also something that you can get under conscious control and that there's not many things in our physiology that we can do that with, right? There's not many things that just kind of take care of themselves, but we can also consciously take, con- take control of it. And I've got some really strong kind of esoteric thoughts on this. and I don't know how, how deep you want to go with this, but breath yeah, is one of them, right? we'll get there let me try and set up some context so i don't sound completely nuts but um you know breath is one of those things right you don't beat your heart you know you don't kind of uh, tell your pituitary glands to release hormones like all of these things that happen automatically um and there's things you can do to manipulate them but they're not under your conscious control as such right you don't just say right faster heartbeat now you don't just think that um there's things you can think about that will speed up your heart rate but 
the breath you've got conscious control of and it is doing its unconscious business. So I was thinking about this feedback loop, psychology, physiology, and breath being the thing that cuts the loop because it's the thing we can, it's the thing that's involved in the entire loop, but it's the one thing we can get conscious control over. But the thing that's also controlling to a large degree our psychology, right? Because it's a very real um, felt sense of the physiological changes that occur when you can't breathe. Like you get panic. And again, it's this, this kind of on a Venn diagram or on this feedback loop of what is a feeling in terms of a physiological stimulus and what is a feeling in terms of a, a felt experience and personally and this is this is me going off the deep end a little bit i do differentiate between um brain and mind you know body brain and mind in the just in as much as okay i'm really going to go for it here right so please please people like stay with me um you know my body's here in this experience but also my brain is here and you know i can't touch it actually but i'm very aware that it's in here but I'm in this experience. So what is this experience? This experience is something that my brain is in. So yes, there's neural, you know, electrical activity happening inside of my brain. But as far as a lived experience for me, it's here. This is it. This is the space I'm in. And my brain is in this space. So this is what I would refer to as, uh, as mind, you know, consciousness. My conscious experience is my mind. And my brain is kind of an organ within that that has a very huge amount of input into what I experience, obviously. But if we can get hold of what's going on in the brain through what's going on in the body, then we can alter our conscious experience. And this isn't something that need to be um, woo-woo or new age, right? Because, you know, you can just think of drugs. You know, you drugs, you take drugs, you drink alcohol. Um, you change your conscious experience by changing the, the chemistry of the brain, right? And it's the... This is just another thing we can do to consciously change the nature of our experience. So as soon as we get a hold of that breath, and uh, we spoke about this before we started rolling, but yeah, there are a ton of conscious um, technical kind of protocols you can then employ breath-wise. The low-hanging fruit is just simply paying attention to it conscious attention as soon as you kind of start paying attention to it and get into that space where you're no longer sort of the breath is just something that's happening in the background it's something that you are you kind of have the felt feeling that you've got conscious control of it that changes everything because suddenly you you know you put a rider on this horse you this feedback loop you've now got a wrangle on it and you can slow it down or you can you can cut it wide open to the point where what's happening physiologically in your body is having a much smaller effect on what's going on in your mind. And just again, to make this tangible, really simple. You're ragging that air bike, you start gassing, you feel like, you know, you're losing control. Um, we hit that sort of threshold of the amount of carbon dioxide tolerance that we've got where we start to feel incredibly uncomfortable. And then we get in control of the breath. And as soon as we find that still point, Yes, we control the breath in order to kind of elicit a physiological response, i.e. get rid of as much carbon dioxide as possible, but also get control of that exhale and, and start to balance out of that chemistry. But moreover, 
we just found this one thing that we've got conscious control over. And just that mindfulness, just bringing us into here, into this experience, lining us up with, you know, environmentally what's actually going on, gives us a chance to go, oh, are things really as bad as I think they are right now? Because just now my lived experience was that of I'm going to die. Like I'm having this really, you know, and that, that's a, uh, that's not hyperbole, right? This is something people in our circle talk about all the time if, in terms of our, um, in terms of our nervous system responses, there's very little difference to your body, to your physiology and to your brain within your body from getting uncomfortable on the air bike and getting uncomfortable because you've spotted words, right? We talk about this all the time. This stressor is the same, regardless on a physiological level. By getting a hold of it, it's that place where we can actually bring ourselves into the here and now and, and stop this sort of discursive thought of and negotiating in our head and, and just this underlying current of I'm going to suffocate and die here in the gym. And, that, you know, that is the, that is the feeling, right? Because otherwise, what, what, why are you rolling around on the floor? Um, once you get that breath lassoed, you can be present with what's actually here in your experience. And yeah, there's a ton of actual kind of tangible breath work protocols you can do. And there's tons of tools you can use and you should use, you know, on a, on a chemical physiological level in order to get hold of that. But I really do think by and large, the low hanging fruit of all this, just paying attention to what the breath is doing will do at least half of the work right at least half of the work of bringing you into here and now being present with what actually is and not um you know all this the sort of mental amateur dramatics that are going on in your experience it gives you the ability to cut that loop and go hey look i'm just riding a bike that goes nowhere and it's not going to go off the edge of a cliff i could actually stop and go home now if i wanted to so maybe i should just get back on the bike and it gives you that conscious control over your experience um you know what tom i've, I've completely forgotten what your question was i think it was no, no, uh, it's, it's, it's brought me into a really interesting place here which is like there's um my, my mentor taught me a four-step model of, of creating change in, in humans acceptance the four a's acceptance that we need to change awareness um accountability so you're actually taking the steps and then adaptation is the final step the hard one i think is acceptance that we actually can change and we want mm -hmm. to change but that awareness is a close second and i think people jump too quickly onto the accountability onto the how quickly can i change my behaviors and change my mental emotional state as opposed to generating the awareness of what that feels like and through my work with athletes i've been exploring like I've been trying to generate that awareness through so many different areas. And it's been like, okay, we're going to put you through, and Kelsey was my favorite, but I'm going to put you through Kelsey to really make you suffer and see what thoughts come up and see whether you're comparing yourself or see whether you are judging yourself as unworthy of success or whatever that is. We're going to use meditation. We're going to use journaling which is a huge part of what we do. But I, I started using the breath because it gave such a, clean and pain-free and safe insight into your mental emotional state um and it's that awareness piece that it really it really builds on and it's awareness not just of your physiology but your thoughts emotions and um, behaviors too
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's just very um in in meditation, in in the kind of world of secular mindfulness, there's an idea that the breath is just another object of attention. Like you know, you can really there's some people that have gone all the way to the, you know, the top of the mountain of enlightenment with objects other than their breath, right? If we look into wisdom traditions, there's, there's people who do more embodied practice, practices around sounds, practices um, around, you know, chanting. Take take your pick in terms of a an object of attention. I, I, I think the breath's an easy one because you've got it here all the time and we're very good at it. We're very familiar with our breath. But I don't think we can understate how important the the physiological ties to the rest of that body has in that in like making make your breath the subject of attention because it can tell you a lot about what's going on physiologically not just be a locus of attention in order to bring you into the present right and start asking you know what what's here start asking those sort of insight insight style questions and i i, I think the breath it just, if nothing else, it makes it the optimal object of attention, right? And there's plenty of, uh, particularly, you know, in training, as you say, there you take something like calcium. If you really wanted to kind of narrow your bandwidth of attention, there's a, there's a million things you could focus on there. You know, you could focus on the embodied feeling, you know, what do my shoulders feel like? What do my quads feel like when I'm doing these, these, these thrusters? Um, where is the burn when I start these burpees? Or even, as you say, like the thoughts that are sort of going through your your stream of experience, but the breath's there all the time, and it it's going to have something to say about the workout you're doing, right? And you can you can infer a lot from what the breath's doing, like on a very simple physiological level. Like, am I gassed? Like, can I stay nasal, or should I go back to nasal? But again, because we it's both autonomous and conscious we can then get it in hand and use it as a tool as opposed to just observing it as an object of, of attention and saying, you know, what, what is this thing doing and what can I infer from that? We can go, okay, you know, I'm obviously physiologically in this state and my breath is reflecting that. What if I shift my breath to this? What, you know, can I, can I affect a change there? And the, the, the physiological effects of that, I don't think can be understated. I think that yes, there are a lot of other things you could focus on and in terms of you know meditation in terms of concentration meditation and practice any any object is as good as any other but i would say the breath just comes superior a because you've always got it you know you're not if you're not breathing you're not worrying about particularly worried about the 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 color of your mind at this time are you um b you've got a lot of experience we've been breathing all our lives we've got very used to if I'm breathing in a certain way, what does this mean? Or, or vice versa, and and C or three, whichever whichever I was going with there, um, the physiological effect of getting in terms of your brain chemistry is important. Is important, right? So we can calm ourselves down, which gives us more of an ability to pay attention to what's there. So in the in the context of, uh, of a workout, as you say, in the context of calcium, if we can get the breath under control, cool, we've got concentration. That's great. Secondly, 
with that narrowed focus, we can actually start paying attention to what is here. But if we can not just focus on the breath, but get the breath under control on a physiological level, you know, we can control that exhale. We can breathe optimally for the, you know, for the stimulus that we're being uh, placed under. That kind of, um, how can I put it? This, the sediment settles a little bit then. You're, you're putting yourself in a favorable physiological condition to start looking at what's inside because it's very hard. There's a reason people sit down and meditate, right? Because it's, it's, it's an easy way to do it because we're calming everything else. We're taking away all the other stimulus. If you can get a hold of the breath, it's a good object of attention, but it's also going to create an environment that's favorable to you, for you to start asking the questions that you were, you were just referencing there about what is actually here so it's for me it's like a a kind of a a two-pronged attack or it's hitting it from both sides it's it's narrowing our focus and it's allowing us to focus and be embodied with what's actually here but it's also once we make conscious changes to it it's creating an environment that's more conducive to doing that because if we're blowing when we're doing kalsu and we're getting really uncomfortable because you know whatever our breath's doing that's a hard time to then be thinking you know all you're thinking then is i'm fucked you're not thinking you don't you haven't got the space to go am i really or you know what's really going on here whereas if you can get a, a hold of the breath and make that environment more conducive to use that attention i think it's it's important yeah. and yeah as i said sorry go for it no no, no. okay yeah so this i'd say that that's absolutely true and it takes a lot of mental practice and work putting your thoughts out onto paper or in some sort of observable format like center coach or center a mindset coach or something like that before you can generate that awareness of like or the ability to question yourself in the middle of a workout i think that the breath gives you kind of a you've always got this focal point with it with generating awareness and to give you an insight into how we work with athletes and the kind of what we have to do there is as you said the the experience once you start moving is so stimulus intense there's such a variety happening and it's so distracting that it's hard to just go okay this is my one thing the way we work with athletes in when they're kind of very performance-based is like okay, you've got one character skill to display in this workout. You're going to decide before the event exactly where you want to practice it and exactly where you're going to display it. So it's like, okay, my third set of thrusters, I'm going to display tenacity by going unbroken or doing my best to go unbroken. And all we can work on, like very, very rarely we get an athlete to the point where they can do like, okay, win this workout with three goals in there. like, And that's it. But with the breath, you've always got that, ability to generate the awareness of your state there because you've got these kind of like inbuilt triggers it's like okay nasal nasal breathing completely power inhale exhale like you've got the kind of um inhale through nose exhale through mouth like okay that's another gear as brian mckenzie would describe it so you've got all these kind of inbuilt triggers that with enough awareness can it seems really help you um identify not only your physiological state but your mental state and the, the crossover and the shared element between them yeah 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 100 i couldn't agree more and it's always there right it's always there as as an anchor there's a guy um uh i think he's a personal teacher called larry rosenberg that says that the breath is just like your oldest friend it's always there to come back to you can rely on it always being there and 
um, you know, you can always come back to that as a focus of attention. Like you say, as soon as the stimulus starts in a workout, it's like that. The analogy I always use is that thing of, um, you know, when you're looking for somewhere in the car, so you turn the music down. Now, it, on the surface level, it seems silly. Like, how does turning the music, how does loud music playing distract you from finding the door number you're talking to? But you only have so much attentional bandwidth, right? I think what, as soon as you start working, that's like the music, they're working out, that's like the music getting cranked up to 11, right? And that then makes it very hard to get off of that or cut that feedback loop or get off of that ride of this, you know, this workout's taking me wherever. And once those voices start, you know, the inner monologue starts up, you can't get any, there's so much going on that you can't get any space from that. So you just believe, well, that's me. That's me saying that when the voice says stop on the next rep or slow down, you are so close to it because there's so much going on. You don't have the space to go, that's just a thought you know that's just a that's a thought let's unpack that why do i actually need to slow down unless like, you're very practiced on? yeah that takes a lot of practice yeah exactly but what i think what I, what i'm saying is what the breath can do is coming to the breath just to pay attention can help you to find that space because as soon as you kind of narrow your focus you realize kind of how peripheral and again I, you know i'm not saying this doesn't require practice but you realize how peripheral those thoughts are and the fact they are just thoughts. They are just, um, you know, your, your, your brain reacting to the stimulus and to the environment, no different to getting a stitch, right? Uh, it's a, it's much more complex, but the, the difference being when we get a stitch, we don't say I'm a stitch, you know, we don't identify with a stitch. We're like, okay, there's a stitch. However, a thought, we heavily identify with right we immediately identify with almost and the the thought if the thought is you need to stop on an next rep it it takes a lot of practice to just ignore it and i think that's why um you know in this space self-talk becomes such a you know such a such a big part of this space right talking about self-talk but i i think there's and i don't know if this conversation we want to go into but i think there's a space almost beyond that where you don't need to do the negotiating anymore. Once you get to the space where you, you're not identified with those, um, you know, with the inner monologue and you, it can just be like someone else sitting there talking to you as such. And that kind of really is how on a very, I don't know what's the, what do I want to say, and on a very evidence-based level, it really is like that, right? You know, your thoughts you can't trace where your thought comes from. We say I had a thought, but if you, if I was to say to you, where did it come from? You have no idea, right? Or where does it go? You have no idea, right? If I ask you to hear the classic example, is if I ask you to think of a film, you will, you're going to think of a film. You don't know where that thought came from. Even if you've got like a short list, you don't know um, where that thought came from. And this is kind of why I have this differentiation between brain and, and mind, because you might be like, yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought of this film. And if you really stop and go, but when, how, why, where did that, where is the, where is the Tom behind the eyes that goes, okay, yeah, um, think of this film. And just, and, you know, inputs that into a computer. It doesn't exist, does it? It just, it just appeared. 
no different to a stranger saying it next to you. Uh, the the reason I say this is once you can really, and this is this is the toughest, like this is the ultimate project, right, is to get to that point where you're just not identified with thoughts so that you don't need to do the negotiation. You don't need to do that unpacking. You can just go, well, you just do nothing. You just let it go. As if it's, you know, someone, a stranger sitting next to you on the bus. Because a lot of time, if you actually sit down and pay attention to what's going on in your mind, it's insane. And it's about as relevant as, you know, paying attention to the stranger that's sitting next to you on the bus. Because a lot of times, you know, I'm always reminded of that weird, there's a weird, like the beginning of one of Kevin Hart's stand-ups. He does like these little film set pieces and he's running away from the police. And in his imagination, he's running away in slow-mo and he looks like Mike Lowry from Bad Boys. His shirt's all billowing in the wind. And all of a sudden he just snaps out of it and he's back to where he is. And he goes, the fuck was I thinking about? And it's, it's like that. We get so caught up in this. But if you don't, in those sort of weird imaginary scenarios, you're quite happy to say, oh, I was just daydreaming. I'm not insane. Like, I wasn't just off thinking about that because I'm, you know, I'm completely on another planet. But most of the time, we're happy to accept that those comings and goings in our mind are just us. But if we can get to the point where we can just separate from them, and I, this is extremely steep. This is, no, this is by no means like, oh, go into your next workout and just ignore the body. It doesn't work like that. But once you can get to that place of, um, of non-identification with thought and kind of uh, you know, soften your sense of self, you don't necessarily even need to do the positive self-talk anymore or the unpacking because you're just a witness to what's really there. And in the, you know, again, to bring it down to a workout, when it starts to hurt, you don't have to do the just one more, just two more. You can just observe like, well, no, I stop. You know, it, it hurts, but I can keep going. Like, this is just data. This is just data. This burn is just data. And then you can just ride it out. And I, I think this is much easier to see um, just simply because there's less of a systemic effect on your body. This is much easier to see with bodybuilding and start workouts. So I recently had a whole group of people use more bodybuilding style workout to go and go to failure on movements in order to better observe that kind of um, when does this idea of failure kick in. I think it's a lot harder to do with, you know, if we're doing something that's gassy because it's our whole body, right? And we're, there's, a, there's a cascade, there's a whole load of stuff going on that's making us want to stop. But if you take bicep curls, you know, there's not a whole load of stuff going. It's much easier to ride that horse to failure, right? Um, and then you can really start to pay attention to, oh, hold on, I said I could only do one more like four reps ago. That's weird. Uh, it's much harder to do that, you know, when you're doing a ski erg and D-boy of shoulder because there's just a lot more going on. And um, I used to train with my brother a lot and his inroad to training was through functional training, through, you know, CrossFit for one of the better word. He'd never done any bodybuilding style training. And we went through this patch um, where he wanted to gain some weight and we were doing like a really, you know, Dorian Yates style go to failure and then do your four reps and go again. And then we do a drop set style workout because you'd never experienced muscular failure without the associated sort of systemic fatigue of thrusters and burpees of, you know, high rep cleans, whatever it may be. He was laughing because he'd hit this point of, you know, he had, he had the, the mental kind of moxie to keep pushing through and, 
this didn't feel that hard to him because he's his pedigree is doing like super hardcore crossfit workouts right so suddenly doing like a french press or you know tricep extensions it's like Meh, what is this and he's laughing because he's like i can't do anymore but he hasn't felt any pain or any suffering he's like no the, the you know the the joint is just not extending that's why i think if you want to kind of practice finding this space where you can just observe what's there and go hey like where do i actually need to stop like where does technical or muscular failure you know you know for your own safety pick the pick the right movements here but where does that occur and at what point did i think it was going to occur and what was the gulf there what was the delta between when i went i'm only going to do one more and when i actually physically could not you know the contractions were not happening if you can spend some time in that space with movements that are conducive to it because so there's not a lot of variables it it might not be like an energy system or a fueling issue uh this is why you know body movements are useful here if you can spend some time in that space you can really start paying attention to well, what is actually going on how much of this is sort of um psychological governing and um you know my response to certain feelings of discomfort versus actual muscular failure and again it's hard to map on to like other styles of workout because there's a lot more variables at play but you can do it running very easily and just you know narrow your attention and start paying attention to what of what comes up you know what comes up and i was running hill sprints or uh, not sprints sorry i did five miles of hills the other day just up and down up and down and you know i just turned the sort of lamp of attention inwards and started paying attention to the feeling in my calves the reason the alarm bell for this was that I realized my focus and my breath had gone slightly. And I'm like, okay, where's that tension gone? Okay, it's gone to the fact my calves are really burning because I'm like on my fourth mile of running up this hill. And my there's a there's a voice in my head that's like, I'll just walk a bit or slow down a bit. But with a little bit of space and attention to the breath, I could then go, Well, you're still all nasal. Like it's a fast tempo. You, you know, you're doing two strides in, two strides out. So you're there's a big turnover there, but you're still using your nose and you've got a blocked nose. So it's not as though, um, you know, it's not as though you're trying to dump CO2 out of your mouth or you're panic breathing. So you're fine. You're, you're aerobically, you're okay. Okay. What about the pain? What about the feelings in the calves? Well, we started this, you know, this thought process like 20 feet ago and we're still moving. So they're not, you know, they haven't given out on you, right? And it's just interesting to pay attention to things like that. And then I just put my attention in the cars. I just really, I was still counting my strides. I was still counting my breath. But in terms of where um, my sense of where I'm sort of located, you know, we all have the tent at this feeling we're located behind our eyes, right? I just put my attention right in my calves and just really looked at what the feeling was there and paid attention to does this burn or is burn a, is that a kind of value judgment we've just made as humans? Like that's a concept, right? We've decided that burns um, because it feels similar to something hot 
but it's not really burning. Like that's not physiologically what's happening. You, you need a lot of space and a little bit of practice to get to this point. And it's not a panacea either. Like there's so many times where I try and do this and I still stop and I'm still like, no, no, I'm, you know, game over. <laughs> this is really hard. I can't just um, not think my way out of this, but to tie it back to the breath, what the breath does tend to do is give you an ability to just come back into your body as opposed to being miles away and spinning that story of, Oh, my carbs are burning. Oh, maybe it's, maybe it's because I I'm carrying too much fatigue. Maybe I've upped my training volume too quickly. Oh, maybe it's because I don't do any direct calf. work. like all of these things, you start spinning out of control. There's a million things you think about in this scenario. Right. And it's almost like the more, you know, the worse it is. Um, but by coming back to what's actually going on in my body, that was the first step of going, well, look, you're still breathing through the nose, two in, two out. So you're not in trouble, are you? <laughs> like you're, you're very far off being in any sort of immediate danger. So let's pay attention to what's actually going on, not narrate it. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the, the character skills that I think is most important in this environment is curiosity. And we spend so much time in train for some reason training I we get this idea that we have to be very fixed in the way that we view things like oh this is burning this is like who I am this is yeah. uh, the type of environment the response that I have to this and it's like it's like we've kind of given into the meathead mentality and that's how we yeah. view ourselves a bit as well it's like I've, it's very, I've lost the play it's very masculine and aggressive yeah yeah I've lost the play I've lost the curiosity I've lost the kind of the soft experience um I've lost this kind of like as you alluded to the more kind of feminine response to or archetypically feminine response and like this curiosity i feel like that's um something that breath gives us so say like it's principle wise it's, it's the same as when we teach people to view their stories it's like we we get them to view them as a as a character that they're playing we call them roles like bounds nature yeah. roles like a, a role that you're playing that's not serving you and when you've developed the curiosity it's like oh okay that's when i'm noticing this story come up and i'm noticing it in the thought thoughts emotions physical sensations and behaviors like this is what this guy does it's not what like my internal conscience really wants is what i've learned to to adapt to and i suppose the same thing happens in in breath it's like i've learned this response i've learned to to breathe like this to panic or to um yeah to to breathe like this in all in response to this stimulus yeah or and, and even you know it goes both ways as well because there are um there's certain responses that are going to be completely automatic. Your body's, you know, this is your body's nat very natural response to this thing, but it's not necessarily based on um, the actual reality of this scenario. Like we said earlier, this is a panic response to a life or death situation. And, uh, you know, it's cliche to even talk in these terms at this, this point, but you still got me. Sorry. I thought yeah, I should have, yeah, um, you know, you, you're in that fight, flight, or freeze, you know, place in your, in your, in terms of your nervous system. But your body's automatic breath response isn't necessarily going to serve you here. Like you actually consciously, intellectually know what's happening next. Like your body doesn't know. All your body knows is like the shit's hit the fan, right? I'm in a, I'm in a bad way. Something bad's happening. Um, I'm bouncing off the red line of my CO2 tolerance and let's get rid of as much CO2 as possible. But intellectually, you're like, oh no, I'm about to pick the barbell back up again. 
So that, again, that's why we need to cut that loop and do the thing that's, you know, we're now in the the kind of the other, you know, when I said you can come, the breath kind of takes you from both ways. It gives you this conscious anchor of attention, but it also has these great physiological benefits that can change that environment. You might be saying, and this is a post, a short post about this morning talking about this, your body might be doing what 100% thinks is right. Uh, and by that, you know, I mean, your brain, I mean, your nervous system is dumping as much CO2 as possible. But you are maybe about to go and do like a, um, you know, like an lactic effort or you're, you know, you're simply just going to do the next round of your workout. So actually your body's natural response is doing what it thinks right in accordance to the stimulus you've given it. Of Yeah, and doing this practice as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're built to do this and it can only work within, you know, your body works within the confines of evolution and um also your own your own fitness levels right so that's the that's the next thing is do you need now need to build more you know you and i aren't necessarily going to have the same nervous system reaction to a workout and we're definitely not going to have the same nervous system reaction to the workout as someone who's never trained before right so they're you know we're building capacity but when it red lines off that the edge of what it feels is this capacity it just panics and it just does it takes the shortest course of action to restore equilibrium, right? But that's not, that's equilibrium if you're just going to chill out now, if you're away from the bear, whatever it may be. Not if you're going to go pick up the barbell again and do another round. So we need to cut the feedback loop so we can, we can do the consciously right thing in order to do what intellectually we know is going to happen next because our nervous system it's just trying to restore equilibrium, right? You've, you've made a, you've done a really hard effort. It's got all of this, it's had this chemical cascade happen. It's all of this stimuli and it just wants to restore order. But unfortunately for your body, you're about to get back on the, you know, get back on the rowing machine. So you need to now at the brain level go, okay, we need to control the breath and we need to do something slightly different from what it wants us to do. But the good news is that also gives you that focus of attention, which is it going to allow you to cut through the the psychological melodrama that's going on as a result of you know it, 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 to to kind of visualize this when you roll off of the row machine, you're rolling around on the floor and you're just looking for some sort of salvation. You know, that's pretty stupid. Like no. We don't intellectually know why we're doing that, right? We just try, we, but we all do it because we're trying to uh, find some modicum of comfort and we don't know where to find it because our body is currently absolutely swimming in um, chemicals that don't make us feel so good. And all your body is trying to do is find its way back to some sort of equilibrium. And this is, this is no, by no means me being hoity-toity about this because I'm the absolute worst for it. Like I've, crawled across many a gym floor before just trying to be like oh my god what i'm i'm gonna die like what's going on but if we're gonna go again that's not the best response right if we if we're gonna get back on that row machine as soon as our partner's done his 10 calories whatever it may be how is this now helpful especially when you look at like how's it reinforcing a story that you believe about yourself too it's Uh, like do you believe that you are the person that's capable of doing this or do you believe that you are going to be in pain and pain is bad and pain shows that you're weak and it's like if the breath can cut that and if it can like 
offer that step, then that's ideal. So the first step seems to be generate as much awareness as we can of it. Like mm-hmm. within workouts, out of workouts, maybe in a sitting meditation practice or in um or kind of yeah, walking practice, like out of training where there's fewer stimuli, can we generate more awareness of the breath? And then can we build it into training? Like what's our how aware of the breath can we become? Are we nasal breathing? Are we mouth breathing? Is it like powerful breaths? Is it like is it slow breaths, like um deep, shallow, like what what does our breathing feel like, sound like, look like? What what is that like? Mm-hmm. Then it comes to modulating state, essentially. It comes to changing our physiology and our psychology with the um, kind of semi-autonomous aspect of the breath. So how does, let's start with, with how does that work? Like what are the principles of breath that affect physiology and psychology? Well, the, you know, the, the biggest one is, is going to be our carbon dioxide tolerance and i think most people's um you know it was certainly mine for most of my life most people's intuitive belief is that when we start hyperventilating or when we feel short on breath we have that felt you know i can't catch my breath i think most people's initial intuitive belief is that we that's us needing more oxygen right because we think of oxygen as this fuel and carbon dioxide is just you know, it's waste, it's exhaust, it's something that just comes out. So we don't need to worry about it. And it, you know, it is exhaust, but what happened, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if this metaphor will catch a lot of people, but you can't just block your exhaust on your car. There's a reason it's there. You will get a buildup of, of gases and bad things happen. So we have, I think most of us have initially this idea that the minute I need to catch my breath, it's because I need more oxygen when the actual the feeling of i can't catch my breath is your response to and i'm talking generally here like this is nine times out of ten it's going to be your response to a buildup of carbon dioxide in your in your system that's why when we start hyperventilating we you know we start we open our mouth and we just start dumping as much co2 out as we can and that you you see people this is a big hole. This is too little hole. This is, you know, it's a small little filter, your nose versus your mouth. So we, we're intuitively trying to get out or, you know, our nervous system is trying to get out as much carbon dioxide as possible because we have a certain amount of tolerance to carbon dioxide, which can be trained. And once we hit that tolerance, that's when we start to feel very uncomfortable. That's when we start to feel like I'm gasping for air, right? So if you, easy easy enough to feel in body just hold your breath and when you get that strong urge to breathe that isn't you needing oxygen which seems like the obvious it seems like yeah that would be it right because i need oxygen to breathe it's that the, the feeling itself is a reaction to a buildup of carbon dioxide so you try and get rid of the carbon dioxide which is great like that's fine like if the carbon dioxide is making you feel uncomfortable then absolutely dump as much of it as possible until you don't feel uncomfortable anymore right that's that's obvious but again going back to what i said about there's a difference between how your body responds trying to restore homeostasis trying to restore some form of uh, normality and balance and how you need it to respond in order to carry on performing when we have enough carbon so carbon dioxide and oxygen 
essentially, um, I was trying to think of the best metaphor for this the other day. And the best one I could come to was like, imagine they car share together the, and carbon dioxide is the driver. The minute you don't have enough carbon dioxide, the oxygen um, is going to struggle to to get to the right places. So the minute we start dumping carbon dioxide, that's it, that, that I need to sharpen that metaphor because it, it, that's not the best way to really describe what it's called the bore effect. A lack, essentially, a lack of carbon dioxide will make. I'm, I'm trying to sharpen the metaphor in my head now. I'm obsessed. It will make the oxygen stay in the car. Let's imagine, actually, let's imagine they're a carpooling and they don't like each other. Whilst the carbon dioxide is still in the car, the oxygen will get out. When it gets out, it probably, you know, that's where it goes to do its job of, of oxygenating your, your, your muscles and your blood and, and, and oxygenating your body. The minute you carbon dioxide gets out of the car, i.e. we huff it out, oxygen goes, oh, cool, I don't mind, I'll, I'll stay in the car then. So, yes, we need to dump carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is, is a waste fuel. There are plenty of downsides to um, having, you know, your blood full of carbon dioxide. And you mentioned Brian McKenzie before. I think I've heard him refer to it as the death molecule. Um, but you need to have a certain amount of carbon dioxide in your system in order that oxygen can do its job properly. So when we start dumping carbon dioxide as quickly as possible, you can no longer oxygenate efficient, efficiently, which is why I make the point of, when you roll off the rowing machine and you're, you, you will need to initially perhaps vent as much CO2 as possible. But if you continue doing it, you are eventually going to end up in a state where you're now not able to fuel yourself in terms of oxygen correctly for the work ahead. When we build our carbon dioxide tolerance through, through and this, most people just, this just happens to you naturally through training. You build up your tolerance to a certain amount of CO2 in your system then the CO2 is able to stay in the car and the oxygen gets out. Like we don't have to kick it out of the car as often. So building up our CO2 tolerance enables us to operate with that CO2 in our system. You know, we, we feel that discomfort later on down the line and the oxygen can get out of the car and, and go about and do its business. If we don't have the tolerance, we will get uncomfortable. We will start <sighs> panting to get rid of it. And then you become inefficient from an from an oxygen point of view does, does that make sense that's like the physiological part of it and I, I also think you know back to that feedback loop of physiology psychology what the whole time you're doing that you're telling yourself the story of i'm panicking i'm in a bad way i'm this is not good i'm uncomfortable i'm incredibly uncomfortable the minute your experience is that the minute that's the 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 felt conscious experience you're having your breath's just going to get worse. Like you're going to get worse because you're having a really bad time. Like I'm having a bad time right now and I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to continue panic breathing. I'm going to ramp that up, chop it off with the breath, start to get control of it, at least pay attention to it. Like you say, the very first step is just awareness. Most people don't know they're doing it. They're so, we're in this very tight, narrow experience of I feel incredibly uncomfortable that we're seeing that as a broad experience, not a, there is a lot of discomfort here, but this is what it looks like. This is where it's located. 
this is actually how I could get a handle on it. And the minute we go, okay, I'm hyperventilating. Okay, my mouth is wide open. I think I need it to stay open for a minute. Let me try one nasal, one nasal exhale. No, that's not going to, you know, we all know that you get incredibly uncomfortable very quickly because you do, you, you do, I hear people in the breath space say all the time, like the nose is for, nose is for breathing, the mouth is for eating. If that was the case, then what's the evolutionary argument for you even being able to breathe through the mouth whatsoever? That that would be about as logical as you've been able to breathe through your asshole. Like there's, what would be the point of it? it there is a reason you can breathe that out of your mouth and that is to help you restore this. So the first step is just to pay attention to it. Notice what you're doing. Because as soon as you notice it, as you say, like the first step was in those um, those four steps you mentioned, awareness. Once you've got awareness, you can go, okay, cool, right. And then you can accept it. You can accept like, well, yeah, I, I'm very uncomfortable right now because I've, I've, I'm bouncing off the red line of my CO2 tolerance. I need to get rid of at least some. Now you've made a little bit of space. You've you've found awareness. You're like, okay, this is why I'm uncomfortable. It's not just that, as my experience previously was, life is just incredibly uncomfortable. There's nothing outside of this discomfort right now, which is what a lot of us feel, right? When you're in the, the you know, you only have the present moment, and if if the present moment happens to be particularly terrible, that's all you're going to feel. But you can create that space, get the awareness of the breath, accept that it is uncomfortable this is the reason it's uncomfortable then you can start taking steps towards okay so how do i need to write this well is the workout over yeah okay well i can just do whatever then right i can just do absolutely whatever there is obviously it would be great if you had some sort of breath down regulation protocol but the workout's over let's say you're in comp and you could actually care less about any of these things like there's not another event after you don't care you're done then whatever have at it it probably will be helpful for your experience as you get control of it but it's not it's less important right no actually the workout is not over my partner is is doing his round of you know whatever it may be um he's he's doing he's taking his shift on the air bike and i'm next or there's there's two people between me and going again so actually this current breath pattern although it's serving me in terms of it's going to make me feel a bit more comfortable a lot quicker. I know intellectually that it's not it's not the best bet for when I then get back on the bike because um, you know my the oxygen has lost its affinity and I'm not going to be very well fueled and I'm just going to get more uncomfortable. And then you just end up in the spiral. Like that's the most people do this during every single workout without even realizing it. They they stop what they're doing. They dump all their CO two. They lose their ability to oxygenate properly. They get back on the bike. It's even harder this time because of the mentioned loss of ability to use oxygen properly. They get off their panic even more because shit, this one was even harder. And then they're just throwing down, down, down. Whereas, as I say, we're back to that same thing. Use the breath to cut it off. The next step, once you've observed, observed it, once you kind of um, have accepted that the reason is you've, you know, you are, oh, carbon dioxide intolerant like every other human being on the planet what do i need to do well there's a lot of very technical protocols you can do uh you know from people who are learning about this stuff in labs and research centers as we speak and from people who were doing this stuff 2500 years ago 
the low-hanging fruit for me is just to get back to breathing nasally as soon as you can and get in control more get in control of the breath in general to the point where it's not forcing you to do anything you're not like i'm in control of it but it's much better for me if they're short and sharp breaths right now so you're not really in control it's kind of like you've gone shopping but you, you know your wife's telling you what to buy so that's a really terrible like um anachronistic like uh misogynistic reference but you get me right once we can get to the point where hey i could do anything with my breath i could do a 10 second exhale or i could do a one second exhale i mean that's that's the that's the jewel in the crown of getting control of it complete control now that may not happen because you may have to get back on the bike you may have to do whatever it may be and the time frame might be too short but if you focus on getting to that point as quickly as possible again coming at it from both ends not only have you now got a focus that it's going to narrow you away from whatever story of suffering and woe you were just telling yourself of that like oh god i've got to get back on i don't think i can do that i'm never i'm not great at, at this particular thing i'm a weak rower like you you're kind of you're focused on something else very much right now and that tends to sort of at least dim those voices not only that but you've now got the physiological side of you're getting in control of the breath you are slowly controlling the amount of carbon dioxide in your system and you're beginning to balance things back out so for me the low-hanging fruit is just get complete control and the the gold standard is total control, but the easiest thing to think about is, can I control my exhale? Can I control that, that flow of carbon dioxide? And if you can, you know, really simple heuristic, and I know that, you know, I know there's tons of people who are deep in the trenches of the breath who will be like, no, you should do this, you should do that. And there's tons of people into pranayama who will be like, no, this is not the best way to do it. If you can just focus on getting to a nice long exhale through the nose that will cure most not most of your problems but that will rectify most of what's going on badly in your experience does that make sense so just just aiming to get control of that exhale as quickly as possible will help yeah and i think that's that's so such a lovely place to wrap up because physiologically that works and mental emotionally that works too like if you want to trigger a panic attack, you do the opposite. Like exactly you, you, you force yourself into that state. And also if you want to upregulate, if you need to upregulate because you're too down, too low, that's mm -hmm. a pathway into it as well. You can think about it on that kind of sliding scale. Um, thank you, man. That was fantastic. No. I learned a lot. And um, yeah, it's it really good to to hear your your input on that and to hear your perspective um it's, it's a really interesting two-way conversation between the right the mind and the body and whatever difference in experience that is we touched on the esoteric too so i i enjoyed that a lot yeah 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 we did we didn't go too crazy which was uh which was which was um probably good yeah maybe, maybe that's a different <laughs> conversation for another yeah, time yeah more than more than happy to do a, a, a part two but as I say, the crux of it is just paying attention to the breath can can pay off huge dividends from both from both of these ends, right? You're very unlikely to pay attention to the breath and start doing something counterproductive. Like I don't, I can't really see a a frame in which that would, you know, your body will soon tell you, and you'll be back to that red alert if you start doing something. If you start tinkering around and you start doing something that, um 
is really counterintuitive, your body will soon red flag you right and kick you into kick you into shape. Yeah, and also that's a, I think it's a good place to start with breath. It's just like experiment things, have some curiosity with it. Like see what happens if you like do thirty inhale and exhales as quick as possible through your mouth, and see what happens if you yeah. do five slow inhale and exhales through your nose as, as slowly as possible, and just see how that changes your physiology and mm-hmm. your psychological experience of the world. Yeah, the, the the place I tell everyone to start is just, um, you know, you can you can call this a walking meditation, but it doesn't. It, if that you know the the people that struggle with that esoteric side of it but just walk and just count your breaths in accordance to your steps like and this is such a nice little mindful embodiment exercise to do throughout the day you know take four strides breathing in through your nose hold for four strides exhale for four strides hold for four strides and, and experiment with that because as i say you, you can't really get it wrong you're very unlikely to be like okay i'm going to hold my breath for 900 strides and uh, oh someone could listen to that and they could go away and die the good thing about the breath being both conscious and automatic is if worst case scenario happens and you pass out like it, it will kick back in right it will kick back in and it, it will sort you out so if yeah, you want to be yeah yeah that's where we've got to um that's where we've got to kind of draw the line because you can you know change your experience to the point where you don't and I, you know, personally had experience of this of like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna relax here for a bit. That's not, you know, you're underwater. It's not a place to relax. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, just get embodied, and this, this can work with anything. You count your steps. You can do it. I do it regularly while I'm running, and it's been a game changer. You can do it when you're weight training, you know. And this, most people don't even think about their breath when they're weight training, but it's a for most movements there's a pretty simple cheat sheet of breathe in on your eccentric breathe out on your concentric not every single movement but the majority of movements sure that gives you something to pay attention to and certain other movements um you know things like wall balls or squats where they're a little bit low load you could maybe experiment with two reps in two reps out and holds and things like that but all of these things allow you to like you say, get curious about what breath does to your body. Find more optimal breathing patterns for your physiology, but also it narrows your attention. It gives you a focus. It, um, you know, on a very scientific level, it lowers the activity of your default mode network, which is that kind of ruminating the part of you that talks shit about you. Um, having a having a point of focus and help you get into that kind of flow state where all of that dissipates so just play around with where you can encounter the breath in your training and even if you're not doing anything special with it just pay attention to it and that makes a huge huge difference i i i've had runs where i kind of when i get home i know that if i just put music on I probably would have I probably would have finished the run like two miles earlier, but because I just tuned completely into my breath and my strides and synced them up, and there was no room for mental chatter then. And I get this is no by no means easy. This takes a lot of practice. There was never a there was never a negotiation over when I should come home. I just went to my destination because I was just counting my breaths. Like there was no there was yeah, not even that. To do. You've got like you've got some mental work to do at the same time, so the brain doesn't get bored, um, and yeah, you you're not forcing yourself. Like what I like about it is it's using willpower to do something useful. 
you've only got a finite amount of it rather than fighting this negative self-talk yeah. coming up. Yeah, so yeah. Like, like you, you don't have like you like I said right in the beginning, like the self-talk is going to come up. Like you're going to hear it. Whether you react to it is it's different. But if you're yeah, if your conscious mind's got something to do, for example, awareness of the breath, then you've got yeah. a better chance of um of not giving into it. Yeah, it's a very kind of paradoxical kind of intentional surrender. You know, you're you are surrendering into just observing the experience. And I say it's a paradox because the intention, like surrendering with an intention, it doesn't really make any sense. But if you can completely close the gap and it helps to be outside and it helps to, there's a, there's a load of other factors that can do this, but if you can completely close the gap between your sense of self and the actual experience, the objective experience of what's going on until there's just the experience, there is now no there's no little you to have the conversation with. And the, the way I look at it is it's almost a step beyond, um, you know, when people in our circles talk about the difference between motivation and discipline and, you know, but you've got discipline, you don't need motivation. I kind of think of it almost like that on a scale. If you can get to the point where you can collapse that subject object distance and there's no runner, there's just running, you know, the, then there's no room for that self-talk. You don't. You no longer need to have the better argument because there's no one to argue with. So, again, very steep, but it just starts by that. You you start with paying attention to your breath, and I think so many people, it seems too good to be true. I think for a lot of people, there's there's so much to think about in training. There's so much to buy and be sold. There's so much to learn that it seems very, almost you know counterintuitive that something as simple as next time you go for a run just count every exhale could be useful at all and then the next thing people know they're three miles down the road they haven't managed to get past five but they're like oh jesus like i haven't once thought about oh maybe i should cut this short because this or oh oh or i'm so stressed about this conversation that i need to have or or something else that's intriguing on the work Mm -hmm. i want to yeah, exactly that. There's no space for intrusion and you you have kind of, eventually you can just start asking yourself, like, who is that voice anyway? And who's listening? Um, but yeah, it's very interesting and I think it's a, it's a worthwhile pursuit, right? You know, we, we live in the, uh, we live in our minds, our, our experiences, our minds. The more we can get to know it, the, the better. And that's through whether that's through mental models or whether that's through actually turning the lamp inwards and looking at the actual, what is actually going on in this experience. It, it's kind of the, this is the filter through which we do everything, right? So getting to know it is, it's a good idea. Perfect, dude. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, do the standard question, where can people find out more about you? Where can uh, people find you on Instagram and follow your work? Uh, yeah, just the the you know as most people the shop front is Instagram. It's the Andrew dot Tracy um, on Instagram. The website have websites adult p dot life, but all the links are on it. You know on Instagram, or you can pick up a copy of Men's Health on the on a petrol station shelf every month, and uh, you'll find four weeks of programming and and some things I've thought about in there. Wonderful. All right. Thanks so much, man. Thank you very much.